while ago, I read an interview that someone had done with Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel's an actor who is fairly well known for you know, the Count of Monte Cristo, but also for playing Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, that movie that Mel Gibson made a number of years ago. And there was rumors out there that Jim Caviezel had a conversion experience during the making of that movie, The Passion of the Christ. So this interviewer got together with Jim Caviezel and he says, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience in being Jesus Christ, in being Jesus Christ in this movie that Mel Gibson had put together. And Jim started to talk about the different things that had happened that many people didn't know about. He said it was a there was a tremendous amount of suffering in doing these movies. We see the end result and we think, wow, that was pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. I'd love to be an actor or an actress. Looks like a lot of fun. But what we don't know is all the suffering that he had to go through. For example, when they were filming, he speaks about when they were filming the crucifixion scene on top of that hill, it was actually during the winter time in order to get the barren effect that they wanted and the wind and the clouds and all that. It was during the winter time and he said he was actually tied to the cross and experienced to a certain degree both suffocation and hypothermia. He said the pain being on that cross because of the cold was so intense that at times he could barely get the words out of his mouth because he was so numb, so much in pain. And they would do this for hours and then a windstorm would come and Mel Gibson would say, no, 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 the cross is swaying too much. We're going to do it again tomorrow. And he said this would go on day after day after day, a tremendous amount of suffering. And he talks about another moment when, during that piece of the movie, when the soldiers are scourging, when they're whipping Jesus Christ. And Mel Gibson had a metal plate that was attached to his back. And then, obviously, they would cover the metal plate with makeup. This whole makeup process would take four to five hours in the morning. He would have to sit there as they put on all of that makeup. Again, another form of suffering, but he said when they were beating him during the scourging scene, at one moment, one of the Roman soldiers, the actors who were playing the part of the Roman soldiers, they went to hit him and they actually missed the metal plate that was on his back. And he said there was so much pain as that whip hit his actual back that he said he couldn't even breathe, he couldn't even cry out, he was just caught in this gasp for breath. And little do people realize that that scene is actually in the movie. And Mel Gibson said, you get to a place where there's so much suffering, it is so hard on your body that you begin to go inside yourself. And he said, as a good actor, you begin to think, feel, and speak as if you were Jesus Christ. And he said, I felt to a small degree, what Jesus felt. And he said it changed the way that he viewed his faith from that moment on. He said, yeah, I was a believer, but come on. I mean, I didn't do a whole lot. I wasn't practicing in my faith. And he said from that moment on, it was like night and day. He all of a sudden was immersed in 
the event, which is Jesus Christ. And he also talks about how one of the Roman soldiers, the actor was a Muslim. And by the end of the movie, this actor had converted to Christianity and was baptized. At times we can think, why during our Mass on Sunday, why don't we talk more about current events? Be much more interesting. Why don't we have like a history of the church course? It'd be much more fascinating. Why don't we systematically go through how the different teachings and doctrines and where our faith came from? Why don't we just systematically have this course on the catechism of the Catholic Church? I mean, come on, it would be almost like a talk show. It'd be a lot more fascinating. We'd be able to pull in all these interesting things, have debates. And the reason why we have this three-year cycle where every three years the same gospel passages over and over and over again. The reason we have this is to mimic the disciples who lived with Jesus Christ for three years. The problem, though, is many times I look at the gospel from the outside and if I'm lucky enough to hear it and remember what was said, many times I don't put myself into the gospel. I don't identify myself with the disciples, with Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is inviting us to do every Sunday for three years. It's about experiencing what the disciples experienced. Why? We go to our example of Jim Caviezel. Because that's when conversion happens. That's when the gospel becomes real. That's when we get to know Jesus Christ at a deeper level. In a church, every three years, we live like the disciples live with the Lord over and over and over again. And I mentioned before in my previous homilies the logic behind what we're doing during our gospel passages after Easter. Up until last Sunday, we've been having these different encounters of Jesus with his disciples. Jesus encounters Thomas, and we're called to identify ourselves with Thomas. Jesus identifies himself with Mary Magdalene, and we're invited to identify ourselves with Mary Magdalene. Jesus encounters the disciples who are discouraged walking to Emmaus. We're called to identify ourselves with those disciples walking towards Emmaus. And something interesting last Sunday happened. We no longer were hearing about the disciples' encounter with the risen Lord. We had the gospel passage about the shepherd who leads his sheep out and walks ahead of them. Why? What are we called to experience now in our gospel passages? Because it's not random. The disciples now are looking towards what's about to happen 40 days after Easter. That is ascension. Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and leave them. Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's going ahead of his disciples. He's leaving them. They lost him once when he died on the cross on Calvary, and now they're about to experience the pain of this separation again on Ascension Thursday, which we will 
represent, we will live again 40 days after Easter. And so the focus now is the reason for the Good Shepherd reading, that shepherd that walks ahead of his sheep. Yes, Jesus is leaving the disciples. He's going ahead of them, but we are called to follow. Same reason why we've heard our gospel passage today. What was today's gospel passage taken from? When did Jesus say what he said in today's gospel passage? Today's gospel passage are the words, the last words that Jesus said before he went to his death. What better place to go back to? We, if we're putting ourselves into the, 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 the uh, place of the disciples, about to lose Jesus for the second time, what better place to go to than to go to the last words that Jesus spoke before he left them the first time, before his death on Calvary? And so we're called back once again to the Last Supper to listen to Jesus' last will and testament, his last words. And what does Jesus say? We heard it in this morning's gospel. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yes, I am leaving you, but I want to leave you with one idea. Jesus tells his disciples and tells me because I'm putting myself there do not let your hearts be troubled why because Jesus had just predicted Judas betrayal of Jesus Jesus had just predicted that Peter would deny that he knew him three times and the disciples their their hearts are troubled and Jesus says do not let your hearts be troubled he's telling them stop it Stop thinking of your sinfulness. Stop getting depressed because of your betrayal of me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's what Jesus is telling me. Each and every one of us, I'm sure, has something that troubles us. And Jesus is telling me, do not let your hearts be troubled. Stop it. But he doesn't leave it there, and with this I'll finish. He tells us how. Two things. Remember where I am going, and remember that I am the way. I am going to my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And remember that I am the way. Mark you, Jesus doesn't say, I will show you the way. So if your hearts are troubled, remember where you're headed. Remember that I've prepared a place for you. Stop this. Place your hearts on where you are headed. And he doesn't say, I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way. In order to get to where you're going, you need to know the way. How many of you have had the experience I have where you get in the car with someone? They say, oh, well, let me take you to that restaurant. I remember years ago we went there. It's a really nice place. And you get in the car, and they're driving around, driving around, taking a wrong turn. He's like, oh, I could have sworn it was here. No, no, maybe it's over on this side of town. And you're like, come on, didn't you look at the map? 
didn't you like look at how to get there? He's like, no, I, I remember from years ago I looked at it. And you're like, come on, just plug it into the GPS for crying out loud. Right? Be humble, plug it into the thing, look at the way, and we'll get there. And yet the same thing can happen to us. Jesus says, I am the way. The question is, do I know Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, my PRP teacher told me about Jesus when I was a kid. Do I know the way? Do I know him? When's the last time I read the gospel? Me. Not at church. Me. And I sat there and put myself into the gospel and said, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the way. Brothers and sisters, let's ask our Lord, Lord, help me to know you better so that we don't hear the words that Jesus told Philip when he says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me?